This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Brain. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, we're going to d- dive deep into some football discussion of what the football program is doing now since protocols for, and, and COVID-19 have forced the 2020 season to be put on pause for the rest of the year. Football will resume in 2021, as well as answering a bunch of other questions that you guys have submitted in our Odds and Audible's mailbag. Now, before we dive into the show, I want to remind you guys that we are offering a promotion right now, 50% off an annual subscription to DuckTerritory.com. This is because we are currently doing a 10-year anniversary promotion. And so great opportunity now for you to join DuckTerritory.com, save a huge chunk of money, and, and do it really uh, right before sports are, are, are coming back. You know, we know sports are, are at least right now projected to start in, in, early, in December. Uh, games will be played in January. Basketball, men and women are gearing up, you know, getting ready to start their preparations for that. Football is hoping to play in, in the wintertime, spring, air quotes there. So recruiting is always going on. Uh, Oregon has a, a top 10 recruiting class in the country right now on pace for the best ever from a recruiting standpoint. So still a ton to get to cover, a ton to discuss here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. But let's get into these questions. We've got, I think, six of them. So three. Let's knock out the first three. Starting here with at Smith Garrett 91 will the postponement or possible cancellation of this coming college football season derail the Duck football program from breaking through the metaphorical glass ceiling? Hashtag odds and audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag, Garrett. I think this is an interesting question if you want to look at it from a big picture perspective. Um, we've talked about it on the show before about kind of the expectations and the potential reason for optimism that this was going to be a, a really big season for Oregon. I think, um, I think everybody kind of felt that a lot of stuff in place defensively, obviously so much back offensively, you lose a lot of starters, offensive line quarterback, but a lot of talent returning. And, and, and I think a really exciting um, addition with Joe Moorhead at offensive coordinator, there's a lot of room for um, optimism. I still think if slash when they play a season um, in the spring, that there, there should be reason for that. But um I don't necessarily think this like derails anything. Um, it certainly isn't a positive because I, I do think if we had seen the season, like if this was just a, a traditional year and the season was, and we were a couple weeks now from the start of the season, um, which would start on time. And I think Oregon has a chance to have a great season and to continue to elevate itself as a program. But I also don't look at this and think they're not playing like completely de- like it, it did. I don't think it puts them on the decline by any means. I just think it maybe postpones like the season itself that possibility for taking that next step and I think they're still on the precipice there you've seen it from a recruiting perspective um, I think everything we've heard from Mario Cristobal and players on the program there's still a lot of optimism and excitement for for kind of what the team you know has in place um, so I don't think things change a bunch there maybe from a national perception perspective this slows things down especially if they play football in other parts of the country 
Um, that's a big if right now, if you're kind of reading some of the coverage of, of what those campuses opening up in the South have looked like. But um, I don't know if Matt disagrees with me here, but I don't look at this and think like Oregon not playing in the fall, like it, it is like an end all of, of kind of the momentum. I think obviously it kind of delays the momentum a little bit, but like, let's be real here. It's the momentum is being delayed for every program around the country right now, aside from a couple um, conferences that are, that are still considering playing. Um, I could see how it's derailed a little bit because you were all, you were given an opportunity in which in 2020 Oregon was going to have the best offensive lineman in the country. Um, arguably maybe the best offensive or defensive lineman in the country. And yeah. having that talent up front is rare. And I don't know if Oregon will ever have that again, um, where it's so, it's so defined going into the first part of the year in which you have the best offensive lineman and Pene Sewell. I, I have a hard time seeing Pene Sewell play in any kind of form of football in, in the early months of 2021. So yeah, you're going to be robbed of that. And I think that maybe is a little bit of a derailment. Um, but at the same time, you could argue, right, that more time for the, the other four offensive linemen that are going to start could help Oregon uh, soften the blow of having to replace so many starters. I think actually if I'm thinking about like what may derail and uh, this glass ceiling here, we kind of have to define what that is exactly. But the one thing that I think really does hurt is that, Ohio, that losing that Ohio State game. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I just think that was an opportunity. And even, even that game with, with North Dakota State, I just think opportunities like that don't come along that often. I mean, that Ohio State game really was, and we wrote about it, was going to be probably the best offense, you know, the non, best non-conference opponent to ever play at Autzen Stadium. Um, and I think an opportunity to, to knock them off would have been a massive – and that was a huge opportunity to kind of announce yourself to college football. I mean, there's – the, the narrative with the Pac-12 has been for the last couple of years and continues to be that they're not on the same caliber as some of these elite programs and other conferences. And I think if Oregon could have gone out and competed with Ohio State, maybe beat Ohio State, that would have been huge in, in, uh, in establishing kind of what that next step was. Just like last year's game against Auburn, I think was, was crucial for, for trying to do the same thing. I think you, you can at least argue that the fact that they were probably should have won that game was, was kind of a step in the right direction and then going out and winning – Pac-12 going out and beating Wisconsin in the, big, in the Rose Bowl was, was also huge. So I think, to me, I'm not as much – I think the thing that – if you were going to say anything that derails it, I think it's the lost opportunity for those non-conference games more than it is a lost opportunity to play conference games. Because I, I think we've now seen last year that Oregon is very much capable of beating up on the Pac-12. I mean, they, they, yeah. they're a couple of plays away from being a perfect – what would it have been 10 and 0 against Pac-12 teams, which I, that's never happened before, um, because pre previously you didn't have a Pac-12 conference championship game for that 10th win. So uh, they're, they've already proven to me at least that they can do that. But I think that next step was, was to go out and beat a team like Ohio State, or maybe go into the postseason and knock off. Not that Wisconsin is not one of those lead programs, but another one of those big names. So um, I get, I, I guess I get the point to a certain degree. But to me, I'm, I'm more disappointed. I think with the, the lost opportunity to play a program like Ohio State and what that could have done. Now, just to play devil's advocate here for a second, I, I think you could argue that if Oregon had played that game against Ohio State, I'm not saying I agree with it, just, but just to play devil's advocate here, sure. Oregon could have gone out against Ohio State early in the season week two and got absolutely thrashed. And, and all of a sudden the, the discussion becomes, 
is Oregon a team that is really good, but they are not truly one of the top five, six, seven elite teams in the country? Because just think about all these big games that they have played against, you know, SEC or, you know, conference champion of another school. Uh, they, they got beat against Auburn. Um, and, and earlier that year in 2019, they, they should have won that football game, but they didn't. Um, they then also have a game in which they went to Michigan State and they lost in a game in which they should have won. And that Michigan State team went on to win the Big Ten. Um, you could argue the year before that they, they beat Michigan State, but that Michigan State team didn't win the Big Ten that year. Um, you could argue the Rose Bowl win in, two, you know, in 2020. Uh, but that Wisconsin team did not win the Ro- uh, the Big Ten Conference Championship. You know, they got into the Rose Bowl as an at-large team. Uh, you could, then you go back to, you know, the Ohio State game in the Rose Bowl in 2009. Oregon did not win that game. You go to the National Championship game against Ohio State. They didn't win that game. Um, you go to the National Championship game against Auburn. They, you know, they didn't win that one. And so – I think you look at these games and, and just from a, you know, playing devil's advocate here, there's a stigma about Oregon when they play the conference champion of another power five team. They don't typically win those games all that often. Florida state, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that is one that they have won, but for the most part, they haven't. And I, you could argue that that game could have been just as equally bad for Oregon as good had, you know, had they played that. Absolutely, Matt. And I think that's why we, we kind of talked about that when that game was still scheduled to be played as kind of a barometer, right, as a test of kind of where they are and where the program's going. Because I think we both kind of had – I mean, I think we both thought Oregon could compete and win that game, possibly. Yeah. But I think we both were also realistic about the possibility that, like, there could be a worst-case scenario where they get – like you said, they get beat pretty good. Um, Ohio State is one of the best programs in the country. Justin Fields is – if you're not the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and that would have posed a ton of issues. It would have been fun to see how that played out, but you're right. Um, there is that possibility. So I think if you look at it, that there's a kind of a, yeah, there's a silver lining maybe to missing out on that game. Well, there's also, from my perspective, a, a little bit of like, boy, I think that could have been a really big game. And then you look ahead into 2021 and that, that game in Columbus and think, boy, there's another one for Oregon and, and let's hope, um, whatever happens in the next year, because it's highly unpredictable and volatile right now, just knowing what's going to happen. But that when that game does play, Oregon is in maybe a better place to compete with a school like Ohio State than they are right now. And if, and if that is the case, um, and there are reasons why I believe that could be true and reasons I believe that, that might not, that's probably going to be the opposite, because you do lose guys like Penny Sewell and a bunch of talented seniors, in theory. Um, let's just hope that Oregon is maybe in a better spot there. Cause if that's the case, then, then I think you could call this quote unquote, a win um, in terms of kind of getting that program to the next step. I like that question a lot from Garrett. I think some interesting points there. Um, second question from at duck scribe, what will happen to fall football practices? Any chance for an interest squad game? I was going to say scrimmage, but he said game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Matt, we don't have, entire clarity other than to say we know the team is working out and there are protocols in place for that and based upon what Mario Cristobal said last week the expectation is that a high percentage of the players will remain in town and continue to work towards a season Um, but it's not at least in its current status a traditional fall football practice right yeah and that's 
th- that's where this kind of gets into what can you do? Um, I mean, Michigan is practicing. Uh, they, they've, they've come out and said that they're having like spring-ish type practices. Um, what Oregon's doing right now is all optional. Um, the, the coaches at Oregon have elected to you know, tell their players that, hey, you can come in and do it if you want. You don't have to be here, though. And they were at one point doing – you know, mandatory walkthroughs and whatnot. Now it's become, you know, it's become an optional um, deal. What all will they do? I mean, I'd be shocked if they really put on pads and went full tackle um, at all, to be honest with you. They might put on pads, uh, but I would be, I'd be pretty shocked if they did full tackling. Um, Just because you don't want to risk an injury when potentially you could be playing in January or February. Uh, but in terms, so how do you get to an inner inner squad scrimmage? I just think we, we've de- we've debated this question in the last couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. I, I I've said it every time. I just think it's really difficult to do with one team. I mean, y- you travel probably I want to say seventy guys dressed for a scholarship game um, or for a conference game. You can you can travel like a hundred guys for a non conference game. And for that are dressed and eligible to go and play football in college. And if you need like, if you need 70 guys to play in a game, it's that's why spring games are so hard to pull off as a true, in a sense, full on game is because you don't have enough guys. Yeah. Um, guys get hurt. Guys get tired. You need the depth. And even at, you know, season strength, I don't know if they have enough where you could truly get a true feel of, of, a, of a regular football game doing an inter-squad scrimmage. Now, you could do ones versus ones, two, twos versus twos, threes versus threes for short bursts, but that's not going to be a, a true true scrimmage. Yeah, and I think we, we also have to – we don't know how many players are going to be here too. I mean, right. you're, t- you're talking also, best that's case. Also a part. <laughs> I mean, how many, how, many, how many of these guys actually want to do it? Yeah, because this would, in theory, be voluntary um, unless the NCAA – and, again, stuff is changing so rapidly, we have no idea. I mean, we could get to – next week, the NCAA could come out and have some plans in place for, for the Pac-12 and Big Ten schools that are – you know, that, that you're allowed to do the X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 and, and things could come together. But I think – I agree with Matt. At this moment, I think you're going to ex- expect to see them continue to be doing some voluntary workouts, um, expect to see them kind of be working towards – something in the spring, but I think you're not going to see anything in the fall that's going to be at least not identical to what you would typically see for a fall practice prepping to for a season. Cause honestly you're not, and it would be almost a little bit counterproductive. I mean, this is kind of almost your spring period right now. Um, and I know Oregon didn't get a traditional spring in the actual spring, but um, yeah, you look at this and think of this as almost like you're almost, this is almost closer to a summer right now, an extended summer where, you're working on some, you know, you're getting out there and maybe you're throwing some passes at, at some point here. I don't know. Um, you're doing some drills. You're, you're working out, but it's not going to be the same as you would traditionally be un- until I think we get more clarity for if slash what a future season looks like in the spring. And once we get there, those quote unquote fall practices are going to be taking place probably when we have some more clarity for what a season looks like. And then maybe we'll see, who knows, maybe we'll see uh, a quote unquote spring game in like February as we prepare for a season starting in March or something like that. I don't know if that's even going to happen either, but there's all this possibilities, but for the original question, yeah, I don't think you're going to see an inter-squad game this fall. I don't think you're going to see traditional ball practices either. 
And I think that's what's going to be the most interesting is seeing when a decision is made in terms of when spring, you know, when the Pac-12 slash Big Ten plays football and how many guys then decide to play or how many guys then to sit out and, and whatnot. Um, I, I think that's going to dictate a lot of, of what you could do in terms of practicing and, and inter-squad scrimmages and, and all th- those sorts of things is once we know what's going on and then it's, it's finalized, how many guys opt in, how many guys opt out and you know, what's your health situation like? All those answers need to be answered. You know, questions need to be answered before we dive into what type of games are they going to be playing. Tons of moving parts, and they, like we said earlier, they continue to move by the day. And who knows what? Who knows? Next week we might be doing a mailbag, and we'll have a bunch more answers to these questions. But uh, for now, yeah, we're kind of in the same spot of, of a lot of uncertainty, which was again the buzzword last week when they made the decision. Third question, and the final before we go to the break from at Benjamin Smucker. Considering the Ducks are losing five talented DBs this year and have a lot of young athletic linebackers, do you think they'll keep the same nickel base defense or switch to a base 3-4? Along with that, what is the target number of scholarship players for each position group? Um, good question from, from Benjamin here. And, of course, we're going to be uh, – this is kind of a hypothetical answer here, but uh, you can – we already saw it in the spring and last year just of how creative Avalos was with trying to formulate a defense. And – Kind of, you know, it's, what was it from Nick Galliotti? It's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's kind of thing of like, I think that's sort of the mentality we've seen from Avalos. And we spent the spring seeing them talk about playing seven, upwards of seven to eight, maybe defensive backs at a time this year. Um, And maybe that would have been on the high end, but playing a lot more DBs than you normally would have seen because of that talent level. Um, And he said, here's a quote I, I, I pulled up from May 8th, which I think was the last time he spoke in person with media. Um, he said, if guys deserve roles because of what they're doing on the field, what they're doing in the classroom, here in our film rooms, and how they're working, we'll find a way to get them on the field. That only helps us. Um, and he reiterated saying always, always, always um, when asked about the ability to find roles for players. So like we saw in the spring where we saw a guy like a Thomas Graham maybe taking some, some snaps over at nickel or safety, um, Roman Kinley playing a couple different spots, Javon Holland moving around a little bit. There's a lot of – I think there's a lot of uh, – potential positional versatility. So I don't necessarily know if I think they're going to switch what they do defensively from a base perspective. Maybe they will. Maybe that's on the table. But I do think from a – I think there's a good point here from Ben about it won't be when they play next, assuming that they play next soon, um, because they do have so many talented DBs. But the linebacker position is almost – they almost have too many talented young linebackers for the defense that looks like they're playing right now. So I could see Avalos really mixing and matching, going to some different schemes – um, again, we know he's open to that based upon conversations we had in the spring and then seeing what they did in the fall where they, they did kind of mix and match and move guys around a lot. So I think you can absolutely see a coach like Andy Avalos, who has been open to that in the past, being open to, to playing to their strengths defensively. And right, right now, currently, as, as, it, as the roster is composed, the defensive backfield is his biggest strength in that defense, right? But I think you go to 2021 and beyond, and you can make a pretty strong argument that the linebacking core will be the strength of this defense for a couple of years. And that's not to say the defensive backfield or defensive line won't be good. You got a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau who could be the number one overall pick at defensive end. I mean, that's pretty, that's a good place to start. You've got Mikhail Wright um, and Dante Manning, the two highest rated corner recruits in program history, plus a bunch of other talented guys in the defensive backfield. But linebacker is becoming such a strength on the recruiting trail with what they've done the last couple of cycles. 
um, even the development of a guy like Isaac Slade, uh, Mato Atia. I, 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 so I agree with, with Ben there on the concept. Or Benjamin, let me not abbreviate your name. Maybe you prefer Benjamin. I don't want to make an assumption there. But, uh, but I, I agree with Benjamin's thought, at least, that you could maybe see them mix and match a little bit, be a little bit more creative, get some more linebackers on the field. Because even last year, we saw a guy like Lamar Winston go from being a, basically a starter the last two years to being a bit role guy just because I think they felt they had – better options to get guys in the field. So um, I, I don't think you can discount that possibility. Do we want to – how deep do we want to run into the, the, the scholarship target math here, Matt? Do you, do you want to, like, run through each position group like he suggested? Or, or maybe we can just talk about linebackers or, or, or a couple of these position groups? Well, I, I, I think we've kind of discussed this a little bit already on the site. And – when you look at the commitments that Oregon has right now in terms of defensive players, they've, they've got two linebacker commits and they've got three guys that are rated as defensive backs. Um, ideally, they'd like to sign a safety and ideally they'd like to add another, another cornerback to the group to bring the, you know, that total to five. Because, look, they're, they're replacing Breeze, they're replacing Pickett, Lenore, and Graham. That's four guys that are seniors on the roster. And, and – Javon Holland could be the fifth who goes pro early. So you're trying to replace five because you're losing, you know, you're losing five. Uh, linebacker core, it's a smaller group just because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but there's no seniors on, on the linebacker core. Sam, uh, Samson New Samson is, is a senior, yeah. Yes, uh, Samson New. I, I was wrong. There's one guy. And so it's already going to be a small group. And, you know, they don't need to add a ton of talent or they don't need to add a ton of bodies for depth purposes. It's right now it's literally going out and, and just adding, you know, guys you feel like are going to be really talented players the next level. Keith Brown's committed. He's the fourth best inside linebacker in the country. And Samson New is an inside linebacker. So they're replacing him there. They're also recruiting um, Christian Burkhalter and Brandon Buckner, two guys that are outside linebacker players because – Last season, they were very heavy on guys on the inside. Um, and, and lucky for Oregon, they've got a lot of versatility at the linebacker spot. So uh, in terms of positional needs, uh, kind of you know, maybe one more linebacker if, if, if the, 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 the correct guy presents himself uh, for the 2021 recruiting class. I don't really think that they're going to go out and, and just add a guy to, to simply add one um, unless there's some attrition to the roster to the committed roster right now. Um, that kind of gives you an idea of what they're looking for. And then along the defensive line, it's, it's they're looking to add two or, you know, two, maybe it, go, it grows to three, depending on, you know, if the number one or the number two player in the country who both are looking at Oregon, say they both want to come play at Oregon. All right, let's take a quick break. We've got three questions in. We've got three more to go. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and we said it before, uh, three questions in, but three more to go on this mailbag. Fourth here, this is going to be a basketball question, so I'm going to send this one your way, Matt. I'm already giving you the warning. From at Kaufman Luke, with Pac-12 basketball canceled as well, and I should say, we should say maybe we should postponed instead of canceled. If an NCAA bubble was created for an exclusive amount of teams, let's say 32, would Oregon be invited? I've read of this being a possibility. Um, the bubble in basketball, it makes more sense than the bubble in football because you've got a lot less guys to, to, to look after. We've already seen it in the NBA and WNBA. Matt, you, what do you think about a bubble? And, and I guess answering his question, if, they, if the number's 32, I would imagine Oregon's going to be one of those, right? Yeah, I, I think a bubble can work in, in college athletics, um, even though Oregon's athletic director, Rob Mullen, said they have to be student-athletes first. I think you can accomplish both. Um, but in terms of Oregon being one of those 32 teams, absolutely they're going to be in consideration. I mean, they, they have – just think about in the last five seasons – what Oregon basketball has done. They made the Elite Eight in one of those years. They made the Final Four in another one of those years. They made a Sweet 16 appearance in an, a third year. And one year they didn't make it. And the, the fifth year, they won the Pac-12 Conference. They were a top 15 team. And they were on their way to a, a seating that was projecting to you know, place them more than likely in the, in the Sweet 16 again. And so you know, this Oregon, before COVID-19, canceled it. And so – you could argue that, you know, the last five years, this Oregon basketball team has, has been one of, you know, the nation's best 20 teams. And I'm, I'm putting that kind of lightly, yeah. um, you know, but they're one of the best 20 teams year in and year out uh, of the last five seasons in, in college basketball. So, yeah, they're going to be – they will be if, – if the NCAA comes out and says that, you know, they're, they're going to take maybe two teams from each conference, I have high – high confidence in saying that Oregon will be one of those two teams, or if they take even say come out and say one team, I still would think pretty confidently that Oregon's going to be that team just because I look at them. They're the preseason favorite, even though they have to replace Peyton Pritchard, Anthony Mathis, Shakur Justin seniors who graduated. Uh, Peyton Pritchard was the PAC 12 player of the year because they do bring back three starters. They are uh, welcoming in, two transfers that sat out last season and practiced with the team. They've also added a couple more grad transfers to this roster that are going to be really talented and follow Dante will, will have a healthy and full season with Oregon. So uh, he was a five-star recruit. And so they are loaded and the expectation, you know, when you look at a lot of these mock, you know, NCAA tournament projections right now, they're all projecting Oregon to be that, uh, conference champion and you look at the way too early top 25s Oregon is the highest ranked team among you know a majority of the of the way too early top 25 teams among Pac-12 squads so difficult to see Oregon uh not make this type of thing as for a bubble I, I think it's it's possible you you got to be able to understand that 
I think the biggest issue is if, if school is open and school um, is being done remotely, it doesn't really matter where the athlete is because they're, because they're not on campus. Um, but if, if it's some kind of hybrid, I think that then really shuts the door for campuses being somewhat open and yet college athletes being placed in a bubble. Yeah, whether it's a bubble or something else, I'm just hoping we get to see basketball. It, whether, and I, again, I don't even know when I hope it happens. Sometime. I just hope it happens soon. Um, it would be something we would miss. And I guess, Matt, just, just a follow-up, 32 seems really exclusive, and I guess you do have to – I mean, and that's for a reason. You don't want to have the, the fewer number of players you have to account for, the better. But man, that would feel like you're really li- limiting yourself here, especially if this was to go into place before any actual games were played. And it's kind of like you're just projecting who the best 32 teams are. Right. And you could be leaving out the, you know, t- 10 teams that may be better than some of the teams that are there. So uh, th- it, that could get wonky for me of like, you include Oregon and maybe you include a lot of these blue bloods, but you leave out a couple programs that, are really freaking good that have really good teams um, and they don't even get a chance for it. And so um, again, this is one of those situations where I go, boy, I'm happy. I'm not the person making the decisions on how to, to coordinate all this stuff. Cause um, that I can't imagine being a part of a, a selection committee where you're picking 32 teams before a season even starts. Uh, yeah. That's, it's, that's it's hard. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's hard where I, you have to play a season. I think Um it's not going to be a true championship if you just kind of pick 32 teams right. before they even play. Uh, but if they play some kind of season, I, I actually think it makes a lot of sense to do 32. I, I think 32 is the number of um, conferences there are at the division one level. It's either 32 or 36 to right around there. Um, but I think, I, I think that might be the easiest way to do it of look, we can't have a lot of people here. We need to limit the numbers as best as we, as we possibly can. You need to win your conference to get into the playoff and to get, to get into the tournament. And that's how it used to be. You know, the only way you got in was if you won your conference. Now you're going to get situations like a couple years ago when the PAC 12 had like three top 15 teams in the country, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA. Uh, and if, if that were to play out, which it will play out at some conference, where they've got three or four teams in the top 10 or top 12 or top 15, um, there's going to be three or two teams that are going to be just royally pissed off because they truly are one of the best teams in the country, but they didn't get in because they didn't win their conference. But this is different times, and you you have to just get get past that and understand that, you know, you have to make unique challenges to play this tournament, and and maybe it's only 32 teams, or maybe it's an at-large deal. And – no, no tournament, no team gets in guaranteed. And you know, the committee is just going to go, look, we're going to pick the 32 best teams and we're going to play that, play it out that way. And one, just a thought on the, the number of 32 makes a lot of sense if you're using what the NBA is doing for a bubble. They have 30 teams. Obviously they only brought 22 to Orlando, but that's at least close to that number. Whereas if you were to say 64, you're not talking about like three times more than the NBA was trying to accommodate. And to me, that gets a little scary because you're talking about NBA players who have a lot of financial incentive to, to follow guidelines and protocols. And who are also, we should say more than likely a little bit more mature decision makers than a bunch of teenagers. And, and that's not to say that, I, that, that the college student athletes are terrible decision makers, but they're a little bit younger. Um, and I think that would be a little bit more dangerous. I think 32, I like that as a number as well. I just think it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how all this stuff comes together. And it's fun to kind of sit here and think months out about, kind of how it could come together. And, and it, you have to figure out numbers that will 
allow rounds to you know, procedurally go. So it's, it's four, yeah. eight, 16, 32, 64. Cause it's, I think it's very safe to say the playing games, they will be eliminated. They, those types of one-off situations are not going to happen. They're not going to make people go through quarantine, bring in more people just to send them out of the quarantine or the bubble, what have you uh, two days later because of, because of a, a playing game situation. So we're going to have, you know, we're going to have that, that, that regiment where it, it breaks down, cuts in half equally. Fifth question from at QuackAttack74. Are there any plans or near future plans to expand Austin Stadium seating capacity to make it, make it an even louder and tougher place to play? Hashtag Otts and Audibles. Um, my, my initial reaction reading this is that about, about less than a week ago, Rob Mullins, we were on a conference call with him, and he said that they could lose up to 50 to $80 million. Um, and I would imagine that would probably put on hold those sort of conversations. Um, we should note that they do have a real kick-ass big um, jumbotron board that we could that at some point we'll be able to see for the first time. Um, but I don't know, Matt. Like expanding Austin A, like do you think exp- does Austin A does it even need to be bigger? Is this a problem that doesn't need a solution, um, or is it even a problem at all? Um, and then for me, I, I, do you agree that like financially, this probably is the wrong time to have those conversations? I, I mean, I think you could have these conversations but I don't think it's one that needs to be done now because Oregon's not consistently selling out sure. their home games um, like they were uh, when the, before the streak was broken. So I, I think if, if Oregon was consistently every year selling out and hitting max capacity and going above it with standing room only and whatnot, then yeah, you can have that discussion. But the fact that you know, there's games – big games that aren't being sold out at Austin stadium. There's no demand for it. You know, tickets have to get cheaper, I think, because right now the experience at home, it's, it's evident just by looking at the decline in season ticket holders, the decline uh, in attendance, you know, the last five, six, seven years at Oregon that the fan interest is better to watch it on their couch or go to a sports bar or, you know, watch it on TV essentially than it is going into the stadium. And so right now that, you know, there's more inventory that they can sell than, than uh, the, the demand. And, and so until it flips where there's more demand than inventory to sell, there's really no reason to really dive into should Austin stadium expand because as much as I know some people out there would love to see a, an 80,000 seat Austin stadium with an Ohio state in this, you know, coming into, into the game, what's an 80,000 seat stadium going to look like uh, when they have to play North Dakota state and they can't sell out North Dakota state with 60,000 fans. Yeah. I think that's the harsh reality right now is ticket sales are down across the country. And it seems like you'd almost be, I don't know. I don't want to say you'd be going the wrong direction, but it would, it would feel like a weird choice. That's a good point you brought up there, Matt. Oregon's, I mean, not to say Oregon isn't having anyone in their stands. I think Oregon has a great home atmosphere and they do have close to a packed crowd for most, you know, fall football games, especially when it gets into conference play. But you're right. If you, you, you know, we can, maybe this is a story we'll do this week at some point or down the line here, just looking at the way the ticket sales have kind of, the trajectory is not a positive right now. So I think that's a good point as well. All right, last one here, and we're not. This is we should say this is a non-Oregon specific, not we should say a non-University of Oregon specific sports question, but an Oregon related sports question nonetheless. From at mvh underscore genetics, 
who you got, Blazers or Lakers? I have Blazers in six. That's MVH <laughs> saying he has Blazers in six. I'm not saying I have like Blazers in six because I think I don't think the Blazers are going to win. Um, <laughs> um, they might get to six games. Yeah, I think I think honestly, I'll be honest here. Having watched almost every single moment of the Blazers games here, um, and being somebody who, by the way, like was not watching very much Blazers earlier in the year, but has watched, I think, almost every single minute of every game they played in the bubble, including the play-in. Um, I love this team. Damian Lillard is, is freaking awesome. If you haven't spent a time watching him, like, he is – I mean, he's way better than I gave him credit for. Like, if you would have told me coming into the bubble, they would have asked me, who do you think is a better player, Damian Lillard or Steph Curry? I would have said Steph Curry by, you know, 20. You know, I think he's way better. I think it's like a conversation kind of now based upon what, what Dame did in the bubble. I mean, he's averaged 50 points for three games they needed to win to get him into the postseason. Um, with all that said, I, I really don't think they have what it takes to beat Los Angeles. Um, we saw Karis LeVert go for like 40 points almost against them for the, for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I think LeBron James is a little bit better than Karis LeVert. Um, we, we saw Jonas Valanciunas dominate down low against the Blazers. I think Anthony Davis is a little better than Jonas Valanciunas. So I, I look at it and think, like, this is going to take incredible Damian, Damian Lillard heroics for this to be a real competitive series. Because I, I could see, like, Who's going to guard LeBron James? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is it Mario Hazonia? I mean, like, how, what, what, is it Carmelo Anthony? Like, I mean, none of these options work. Um, that's the thing that really stinks now is, is, uh, is reflecting on being – they had Trevor Ariza, who's a really good, long, rangy defender who could have at least been a, an option against LeBron. They don't have – that right now so i i don't have the blazers winning sadly i wish i could convince myself i'll say i'll say lakers in five i think blazers win a game but um and we should also note we're recording this prior to the tuesday game um and we maybe the blazers are gonna smoke them there and, and we'll have a bunch more answers then but um i don't think the blazers are gonna win this series unfortunately now i certainly think that i think this game goes to six i i could even i could even see a scenario play out where it goes to seven Sure. Um, I because just like I don't think the Blazers have anyone that's going to be able to guard LeBron James. Um, I'm going to also ask that question about the Los Angeles Lakers and Absolutely. and who is who is going to guard Damian Lillard? Because if if you're living living under a rock for a while and and you're not quite sure what's going on, um, the Lakers are just crushed at point guard right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Rajon Rondo broke his thumb. Uh, he's inactive for, for game one. Uh, he's cleared the play, but he hasn't played at all yet. Um, no. Avery Bradley, their best point guard, I think, he, he's out. He, he's not playing in uh, the bubble because of personal reasons. So they're playing LeBron James basically as the point guard. Uh, Alex Caruso and Quinn Cook are the backups. And Caruso or Cook, they have no chance of guarding uh, Damian Lillard. Um, and so I think Lillard certainly could, you know, the, the Lakers could put LeBron on Lillard, but he's, even though he's the best player in the NBA, um, don't, don't get angry at that statement. But I didn't, uh, I didn't like that. <laughs> but even then, he's not, his lateral quickness isn't there to stay in front of Dame for an entire 48-minute game. Um, and he may be able to do it in spurts, but he's not going to be able to guard you know, Lillard the entire time. So I think Lillard could maybe will this Blazer team to, to a six-game series, possibly off chance of seven. Um, but in terms of Portland winning, no, I'm, I'm not going to take that. I know Charles Barkley's out there saying that 
the Blazers are going to shock the Lakers. And look, I'd love to be wrong. Same. You know, Same. I, Absolutely. I, I, I want to be wrong. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, if Portland had Trevor Ariza and Rodney Hood, two yep. guys who aren't healthy or have opted out of playing in the, these playoffs because of COVID or Hood's hurt, um, if they had both of those guys, then the tables drastically turned because those are the two guys that would guard LeBron and the Blazers would have the depth and have the defense and have the size to match up with, with the Lakers. But, uh, you know, they're not. And Portland has no answer for LeBron James, who's the best player in the NBA. So it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult. But that being said, um, I do think it's going to be fun to watch. I do think um, – the playoffs in general are going to be fun to watch because you're, you're seeing the elimination of what like home court advantage. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's eight versus one, but the whole advantage of that is you get to play at home and you're playing a, a weaker opponent. Now everyone's, you know, in equal footing from a location standpoint. And, you know, we're seeing as we're recording this podcast right now, the eight seed, in the East, who in the East is significantly worse yes. uh, than the West is. <laughs> and the Orlando Magic, and this is just peeling back the, the, the onion here a little bit, um, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon that the Orlando Magic are about to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. It's a, an 8-1 upset. And so it's possible because you don't have to deal with crowd noise and you don't have to deal with hostile environments. And that, that, can, be an ev- that can be a pretty big evening factor there. How many points would Damian Lillard have to average in a series for you to think Portland could win? Because for me, it's, it's probably like 45. Yeah, if, if you're asking me, okay, <laughs> so if, if you're telling me how many points does Lillard have to, have to average for them to walk away with victorious over the Lakers in a seven-game series, I almost would have to say he's going to have to average like 50. 50 a game, and, and <laughs> the Blazers like are going to have to get to like 115 a game uh, to be able to get that. Now – if you're looking for some some kind of um, betting angle for this game, uh, take the over in these games. The over right now is 233.5. I still would take the over on that because the Lakers have no answer for Lillard, who's playing out of his mind right now, and the Blazers have almost no answer for the best player in the NBA and for Anthony Davis. So I, I think there are going to be a ton of, of points scored in this game. It's basically, do you think each team's going to uh, score 113 points or, or 116 points per game? I, I, I would take that bet. I just, it's a funny series because it is going to be like the most lopsided uh, matchups ever. Cause like you're going to have Lillard against like Alex Caruso and Quinn cook. I, another name, maybe Danny green is somebody we see on him. He's a little bit bigger, but uh, I think Lillard's going to cook. I think McCollum could cook too. I wish he didn't have a back injury. It's another thing we should mention too, but he looked, he was instrumental in that win over Memphis. So here we are giving a lot of thoughts on the Blazers Lakers on a duck podcast, but I'm sure those <laughs> listening are, are into it. Cause there's probably a huge cross section of fans that are both duck fans and blazer fans. So, um, I'm really excited to have uh, this series. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see, let's be real, Damian Lillard has a chance to, to show he can hang with LeBron James. And if he can knock him off in a series, boy, does the, uh, you know, does the pedigree there build for, for Damian Lillard as, as one of the best in the league. And I think he's kind of already announcing himself as, as a lot better than a lot of people nationally think. And if he were to go out here and, and even if it goes to seven games and he goes toe-to-toe with LeBron, um, boy, what would that mean for, for his perception nationally? 
He's just asking to have some respect put on his name. That's all he's asking. That's all he wants. Give it to him, please. Give the man it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this mailbag. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the Portland Blazer, uh, Portland Trailblazer question. Um, So I'm not going to say let's have all of our mailbag questions be outside the duck realm, but if you can, you know, like Eric said, there's a good, there's a good cross section of fans out there that are duck fans that are also blazer fans. So uh, every now and then let's, let's kind of throw these in there. Let's, you know, uh, let's find some things that are maybe a little outside the purview of strictly Oregon sports that's still relevant to the Oregon duck fan itself. So uh, we'll keep our eye out for those as well. So thank you for sending those in. Thank you for sending the other questions in. And as always, you've been listening to the Otts and Audible's podcast for Eric Scope and myself, Matt Prem. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.